Wednesday night Bible study. We have been in the book of Romans for, oh goodness, today makes 22 weeks of Bible study in uh, the book of Romans. Some chapters, two weeks uh, per chapter, and this one uh, won't be that much because this chapter is only 14 verses. Uh, we will hopefully make our way through this chapter and and uh, be able to move on. But uh, we've been in a series of of uh, lessons, Bible study, just simply titled "Back to the Basics." We're just learning together and learning some of those basic terminologies of our Christian faith. Of course, we know salvation, but justification, sanctification. Uh, all those kinds of terms that we have run across. And uh, tonight we are in Romans chapter 13. Eventually we're reading the whole chapter, but we'll read a verse or two at a time. Uh, and then go back and discuss that. Thank you for those who will join us later on uh, our YouTube channel and podcast. I really enjoy the podcast because it just shrinks everything down. Uh, real short, and it helps me stay focused if I want to go back and re-listen to something. Uh, so let's read the first two verses. Tonight is really talking about our obligation as Christians to the government. What is our response to the government? How the Lord sees the government? How we are supposed to honor who God has put in authority over us? So all those topics will come up. It says, let every soul. What does that mean to you? Every means everybody, right? Even in uh, New King James or King James, every means every. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So two things Everybody needs to be subject to governing officials. That includes us as Christians. We don't get uh, off of that, even though we know that we are foreigners here, we are pilgrims passing through, however you want to put that, we still have a responsibility uh, to be subject to the government. The reason of that is because it was God who put them into that place of authority, uh, and he appointed them for that. So let's go ahead and read the remaining of that next verse. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Here, Paul is talking about our obligation to the government. He was also talking about, uh, imagine, put yourself in this context. We know what it means today to be in subjection or to be under the authority of the government, but imagine you're a new Christian and you're living in Rome. This is the book of the Romans. And you have evil emperors and evil rulers that were persecuting and killing Christians. And here Paul is saying, you need to be subject to the governing authorities. 
Uh, there's actually actually a connection between chapter 12 and 13. Chapter 12 was talking about if a Christian was not supposed to seek personal vengeance, that we were to leave it to the Lord. And what Paul is saying here, this connection between chapter 12 and 13, which you'll miss if you don't really dig into it, he's saying it's actually the government's responsibility to punish wrongdoers. What Paul is saying is the government, actually God put it in place and he's put it there to help us as Christians because the government should be punishing wrongdoers. Sometimes that's not happening now. But that's the responsibility of the government. And it says every soul. So that includes Christians that we should be subject to the government. And this is in contrast to the zealots. Have any of you watched The Chosen? There's a disciple on there who is a zealot. What does that mean he is? He was prior to becoming a follower of Christ. That means he was totally against the Roman rule. And he would have fought or killed if necessary, to keep Rome from ruling over the Jews. He was a zealot. So imagine if you were prior to coming to follow Jesus, you were a zealot. Now Jesus is teaching as well in his, in his parables and everything that we're to be subject to the government. Uh, that might be a little bit difficult. Why does God... He says God appoints government leaders. Why would God do that? Why do we have government at all? Had to have order, law and order, right? You learn, learn about that in school, right? Uh, that civics class talks about what the responsibilities are the, of the government are. Uh, one to protect the people, uh, to have law and order, and those kinds of things. God appoints these governing authorities to help us. Imagine if there were no rules, no laws, how difficult would it be to propagate the gospel of Christ? It would be very difficult. If you went out to attempt to witness to somebody and somebody didn't like it, and there was no governing authorities and no rules and no laws, they might attack you, might kill you, like whatever. You ever went to a foreign country that had very little law and order? You recognize it immediately. I mean, even the simple things like traveling in a vehicle in a country like Haiti, it's insane. It's crazy. Where we think we're going to get on the right side of the road and we're going this direction and people on the left are coming this way. Not so in Haiti. Whichever way you wanted to go, you just bullied your way through. You know, if you've never been, you probably think we're exaggerating, but we're not. When a two-lane road's got five lanes, you know something's wrong. And three might be going that way and two this way. Yep. The government does have a purpose. God appoints our nation's leaders, but I want you to hear this, but it's not always to bless the people. I think in general, God appoints government officials and things like that to 
bless a nation and to help a nation. And I certainly feel like overall, as a nation, we've been blessed because of having for hundreds of years a more godly type of government. And look at the, the history of Israel. Sometimes God would appoint leaders that he knew were and allow them to come into office, allow them to be kings, allow them to do all of this in order to bring the nation of Israel back to God because God knew it was going to be bad when they were in charge and in control. Read, read about those kings, especially the kings of northern, the northern kingdom of Israel. 30-something kings, they were all bad, all evil, all led northern Israel eventually to be held captive uh, by Babylon because they went totally against God. So while God appoints leaders, it's not always to bless the people. Sometimes it's for him to bring that nation to a point of judgment. But can I tell you, that still shows the love of God, doesn't it? Because if God didn't love a country or love people, he would just never bring up the judgment on this earth and allow them to die and go to hell, right? Even God's judgment upon this earth is an act of love whenever we begin to really think about it. Paul wrote this during the Roman Empire, which I already said, and it was not a democracy. It was a dictatorship. The Bible tells it, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. How many remember reading that? Tells us that Paul was persecuted under Nero. The very worst, historically, if you do your Christian history, the very uh, most vile and, and uh, wicked emperor of Rome was Nero. Persecuted the Christians more than any of the emperors. Jesus and Paul still were under the authority of uh, the government than we are as well. What happens if we resist the government? What does, it, what does this tell us? If you resist authority, you're actually also, uh, government authority, you're actually also resisting God. How many ever tried to resist God? How'd it go for you? Not real well, right? When we resist the authority that God has put over us, be it government, even though they're not perfect, then we're actually resisting God. And we're bringing judgment on ourselves. So, let's read verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good. Doesn't that sound like a great answer? You don't want to be afraid of the government and, and what the rules and the laws are, then what's the answer? Do what's right. Uh, it sounds pretty simple, but we I mean, know that we struggle with sometimes doing what is right. Uh, and, and people, besides Christians, struggle with doing what's right. And you will have praise from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. The responsibility of the government is to punish and to deter evil doing. 
That's the responsibility of the government. Though we are citizens of another kingdom, we still have a responsibility here uh, to be obedient to the rules. That means to pay taxes. Uh, it means to pray for our state and local government and rulers. So we have a responsibility as Christians to do that. Not only to point out where they're wrong, but are we praying for them so that they don't do that? Are we uh, supporting them? Are we talking to them instead of talking about them as good citizens that we uh, should be doing? This official, this government, whether it be it local or state or federal, whatever it might be, he's actually serving as God's minister for our good and for our better. And his job is to execute judgment, wrath upon those who are practicing evil. The government's job is to justly punish. Not unjustly, but to justly punish. That's why we have, uh, in particular in this country, we have a lot of rules, a lot of laws. Uh, but the responsibility of the government is to punish Justly, not people who don't deserve it, but people who do deserve punishment and to help God in holding us away from our sinful tendencies and to be a check. Why do we have laws and rules and all of those things? To keep people from going towards their selfish and their sinful tendencies. What is the Bible? Bible say that about the heart of a man it is desperately wicked and if left to his own devices men will head to, in the wrong direction I'm not talking about just uh, I'm certainly talking about even as Christians if there was no discipline or no punishment in the kingdom of God we also would do that if, if that would be our natural human tendency but the government's there to hold mankind away from our normal tendencies to sin. In here it says he does not bear the sword in vain. It's talking about maybe the more military aspect of the government or the more uh, maybe law keepers like police officers and things like that. But it says he does not bear the sword in vain. What do you think that means? What's it a reference to? It's actually a reference to capital punishment. Now, I don't know your view on that, but the Bible does not speak against capital punishment. It actually says that if the government needs to do that, then it should in order to keep law and order. That's what the government, that's what the Bible shows, and not that the Bible is supporting necessarily killing someone or capital punishment, but it is supporting, obeying our officials and our government. If you look in the Old Testament, you're going to see an eye for an eye, two for two, those kinds of things. Is that God's grace? And is that God, is that really God's plan? Probably it's a part of God's discipline and judgment, but I think we also know that God is gracious, and loving, and merciful. 
It is here a reference to capital punishment. It is a deterrent, especially for people doing things like taking someone else's life and things like that. There is punishment for the things that we do. Even in God's mercy, there still is. If we stay in our sin, then we know what the punishment is. We're to be under the subjection and ruler be ruled by the government. So let's read verses 5 through 7. This is going to talk about, as a Christian, our responsibility towards the government. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath. In other words, don't just obey because you're going to get punished. But also for conscience' sake. That it's the right thing to do. That God has said, be in obedience and be uh, living in subjection to the government. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs are due. Fear to whom fear and honor to whom honor. Not just because we fear punishment, but because it's right before God to do it. What the government can do with the taxes that you pay are supposed to be for our benefit and for our blessing. We wouldn't have things like roads. We wouldn't have things like public education. We wouldn't have a lot of things without taxes that have been a benefit and a blessing even to the kingdom to allow the gospel to be spread. God is very strategic in the spreading of the gospel. That's the reason why you see, uh, it's not a coincidence that you see Jesus born when the Romans are over Israel and over much of the world. Because what did they have? They had law and order. They had road systems. All those kinds of things that made it easy to propagate the gospel once Jesus was born. We're subject to pay taxes, to render our due. Four things that we are to give to the state or to the government. What are they? Taxes, customs, fear, honor. To whom honor belongs, yes. But I've met a lot of our local officials and a lot of our magistrates, and, and I've prayed over them whenever they went to, uh, to meet. And I've prayed over our judge executive, and I've prayed, you know, and when you do that, you're honoring what God asked you to do in that. To honor somebody, you don't always have to totally agree with them. But you can honor What you're honoring is the position that God put them in. You may not agree with their politics at all. So what's a custom? Is another type of taxation. Fear. I think God instituted the government to be able to deal with punishment, to punish people who are evildoers so that we would have a healthy fear. There is a such thing as a healthy fear. Uh, so that we stay out of trouble and we honor God's what he wanted. So, let me ask you this. In light of all of this, is it ever right to be in rebellion against the government? 
I don't think it's right to be rebellious. We have to go by our conscience, and if yes. something is sinful, we can't do it. If it's against God's law, then we have to buck against that, however you want to call it. Rebellion seems like a pretty strong word. There's always a choice. What choice will we disobey God or disobey the government and realize that we are actually, we as citizens of the kingdom, have a choice between what government we're going to honor and obey. If it is directly against the word of God, and I think we have an onus to, to do that, to do what God's word says, not what the government says. How do you do that? What is our responsibility as citizens of this you know, nation, but also as citizens of the kingdom? What's our responsibility when it comes to participating in government? Do you feel there is a role for the Christian in politics and in government? I hate to think what it was like if there was none. Absolutely. If there was none, it would be major chaos. The only way to turn it around is to get more in. Right, right. That there are those that, yes, that God has put in place and, and they have stood up when it was difficult to stand up. And so we have to appreciate that, I think. Uh, and certainly if God puts it on your heart to be a part of government, then I think we have a responsibility to do that. If God has given us the gift of governance and leading, and we use that to the betterment of our nation and our and our localities, then I think that's a good thing. Well, we are a part of it, whether we want to be or whether we do anything or not, because right. we... We either vote or we don't vote, and either way, we are a part of it. Let's move on. We'll read verses 8 through 10. As Christians, we have a responsibility to the government. So what is our obligation, which is this next part, to uh, people and to our neighbors? So verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and, there, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. We do have a responsibility for our neighbors, for our community. And that community can be summed up, and this is in your questions, the fulfillment of the law, love is the fulfillment of the law. So if we're, then if we're obeying those Ten Commandments, which are based on love, love for God, love for people, when you split them up into categories, uh, then we're fulfilling the law. And we'll be on right standing with God and more than likely in right standing with people. So don't owe anybody any debt. What does that mean? Pay your debts. And, one, and your most crucial debt is to love people. 
specifically here is not talking about a financial debt, although if you do have those, you need to pay them, uh, but it's talking about our debt to one another as, as humans, to love and to carry out that obligation and, and to do what God's called us to do in that. By the way, the Bible never commands us not to borrow at all. It does say things like the borrower is slave to the lender, uh, but in passages like in Matthew 5, 42, if you wanted to look that up, it does not say that it's bad to borrow. There are obligations when we borrow, but that's to pay it back. And, and this is not just saying care for other Christians, although I, certainly we better be doing that. Uh, here it's saying to help your neighbor, those in need, those who uh, are widows, those who, it doesn't say that here, but it does in the Bible, those who are orphans, all those kinds of things where we have a responsibility for more than just our own four. The world may not be in agreement with that, but the Bible does say that. There is a system that was put in place uh, in the New Testament to help widows and orphans and to feed them and do those kinds of things. And so we need to do as much as we can in that as well as Christians. Fulfill that we are to love. What does that look like? How do you love? If love is the fulfillment of the law, we can still do religious things and never fulfill the law. So we have to be careful. We can show up for church and not show love. We can pay our tithes and not really show love. We can do all kinds of religious things, but here the call is to love. So let's read verses 11 through 14, which will finish this up. And do this knowing the time. Do what? Love. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep. I ring the bell. Time to get up. Awake out of sleep, for now is our for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Man, is this fitting for our day of what? I preached a sermon on this passage a few years ago. I don't know if any of you remember it. I set an alarm clock on that altar and I had it purposely set to go off every nine minutes. And I would go over, I mean, not perfect. I set the alarm and then I would hit the snooze instead of the uh, shut it off. And I get when it go off again, I say, it's time to wake up. And that's where we're at in our day. I believe um, if the devil had his way, he would rock us to sleep in the norm of every day. Of just survival or just making it. But that's not what we're supposed to be as Christians. I don't mean I'm not talking about I'm not talking about financial prosperity in this. I'm saying Love each other so much and love people so much that you are conscious of the time that we're living in. The Lord can come back at any moment. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. In this, it's like throughout the Bible, there's always something that you're going to push off and something you're going to put on. And you see this here, casting off any works of darkness, 
and you're putting on the armor of light. Later on, pretty much saying, put on Jesus. So let us walk properly as in the day. How many of those that sinners walk differently in the day than they do in the night? Many times, that's a period of drunkenness and revelry, as it says, lewdness, lust, strife, and envy. So even in the physical, you see that. But here it's saying we need to wake up, recognize the time that we live in, and live for the Lord, and show the love of Christ, and put on Him, put on that light. That's what it's uh, telling us. Make no provision to the flesh and fulfill its lust. So uh, we're to be awake. What does this mean to you? How can you be awake in the day that we live in? Open up your eyes. It's speaking of energy. That we need to be energetic. Not sleepwalking. Remember, have you ever seen somebody sleepwalk? It is wild. They're walking around and they, they think they're awake. They're really asleep. We have to be careful that we're not doing that. And that we're awake. The Lord's return is coming. It is just so easy to get lost in what the world and worldly pursuits and worldly desires and uh, even and just I mean, good people. You know, not big sinners. But we just sometimes, if we don't watch it, we won't. We don't recognize the day that we live in. The works of righteousness instead of the works of the darkness come out of the night into God's light. Into God's light. So licentious is a word that's used there in, the, in this last part. Licentious means to the desire to. Be in a forbidden bed or to do something that you know you're not supposed to do. Not chaos or disorder and all of that. You're waiting on the world to get better, quit waiting. I mean, that's, that's a message I'm seeing here. We're in the last days. I know that's been said for hundreds of years, but we're closer now than we ever were. We'll not get better. Now, can we have periods of revival? Absolutely. And I believe that we will. And we'll see that. If you ever give up that God is not going to move again, then you're in a sad situation. Because God does still move. And I see the last revival coming through children and you. Because the Bible tells us that the hearts of the children will be turned to the Father. And likewise, the father to the children. So there is a restoration work that's going to happen in the last days. And I'm, I'm already seeing it, folks. I, as I talk to other ministers, who's coming back to church now is the kids and the youth. Every church pastor that I talk to Man, we're really growing in this area of children and youth. Why? It's God's heart for the end times. And so, I, I, honestly, I'm kind of excited as I look at, at this and 
and I see a, a move of God, and we're not going to miss this. We're going to focus on not to the bad of, of middle aged or elderly people, but that we're going to nurture them and we're going to feed into them and we're going to be a part of what the kingdom is about in the end days, which is which is young people, sons and daughters prophesying. I just want to give you a little flavor of what I see God doing in the kingdom. Sometimes we miss a little bit when we just have, and I'm not being, I'm not trying to be mean and saying, but sometimes we put blinders on and we only see our own church and our own, what we have seen. But God's doing something in the kingdom in these last days, and I'm telling you, it's coming through children and youth. That's the move of God in these last days, is that another generation come to the Lord. All right, let's do these questions. So, who is to be subject to the governing authorities according to verse 1? Every soul. Who does that include? Everybody. Question 2. Why are we to be subject to the governing authorities? God ordained them, appointed them, however you want to say that. God appoints a nation's leaders, but not always to bless the people. Question four, when would we disobey governing authorities? Contrary to God's law. If you don't want to be afraid of governing authorities, what should you do? According to verse three, what's good? What's what right? Question six, how does the government serve God's plan? Makes better world for Christians to work in. Is that it holds us in check. At least the laws should hold us in check so we're not just running off and doing our own simple thing. But yes, the government has many roles in assisting God's plan. Question seven, what is the sword of reference to? Capital punishment. What four things are we to give to the government? Question eight. Taxes, customs, fear, and honor. Question nine, what is the fulfillment of the law according to verse 10? Love. And then final question, what are we to cast off and to put on according to verse 12? Cast off darkness and put on the light. 